Well, good day and welcome to another episode here of the Disaster Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Davis, the pod medic, and we're back with another great episode here. And I'm excited to uh, get the group together and uh, talk about some things. We took the week of 4th of July off and uh, had a nice little break with our friends and family that week, along with the other things we had going on. And um, we'll talk a little bit about that in the beginning here. Um, Before I can get into any of the rest of the show and the good stuff, we have to bring in Sam because she's the one that's bringing all the good stuff. Hey, Sam. Well, well, I hope so. I'm sure trying. But part of that good stuff is we got Dr. Joe on tonight. Hey, Dr. Joe. You've been busy. Great to, great to be on. Happy uh, holiday week to everyone. And we got Mr. Kyle. Yes, indeed. The weather squatch is back again. <laughs> we call him that because he. there's certain times of the year where we're lucky to hear anything from him. He's climbing towers and doing radio stuff and all of that, even though he's not dispatching anymore. But, you know, we have a... a a special return guest who's coming back to us with a completely different skill set. So we'll talk about that in a minute. But Joe, I wanted to ask you, I've been hearing things about the fact that, that Omicron is kind of evaporated, but now we have, what, B5 and V6. Can you talk about that for a few minutes? Yeah, these are these are subvariants of the Omicron virus, BA4 and BA5, uh, and both are uh, similar in transmissibility to the Delta version. Uh, they do not seem to be uh, quite as severe an illness, nor as uh, high a fatality rate. Um, but they they certainly are the, the virus is spreading quite rapidly. Um, the uh, I think part of the concerns related to this are really just uh, folks not appreciating that uh, uh, although the initial illness may not be terribly severe now, more like a bad cold and all that kind of stuff, the uh, the possibility of uh, things like long COVID and that kind of stuff are still fairly substantial, uh, and that folks should definitely be uh, uh, paying attention to that. This is this is not necessarily a virus you want to just blow off. Uh, so, uh, still encouraging folks to do all the right stuff with distancing and protecting themselves, particularly in. Uh, Large gathering events and air travel seem to be the the high risk uh, activities of the day right now. Yeah, that's pretty scary stuff. Um, it's just never going to go away, is it, Joe? It certainly doesn't sound like it. Uh, you know, at least it's sort of settling down to uh, not having quite as significantly bad effect on the overall healthcare system that it was before, but. You know, uh, up to 10% of folks who get uh, COVID end up with some sort of symptoms of long COVID uh, that can last for years and potentially uh, have a long-term health effect. So, uh, again, just, uh, you know, playing the odds there, and uh, it, it pays to take care of yourself and protect yourself. Yeah, that long COVID's scary because you never know who's going to have it or what the symptoms are going to be. So, yeah. So one more question. How long do the boosters last? 
Well, it's a little bit unclear uh, because the virus, of course, is now continuing to mutate a little bit. The boosters still seem to have quite good uh, uh, efficacy against severe disease and uh, hospitalizations and death. Um, and immunity seems to last for uh, you know six months to a year, although the more mutations that the virus has, the, the less longevity that the current vaccine will have. And we're beginning to see some work on some variations in the vaccine to try to try to pick up some of these uh, uh, mutations that are coming in the viruses now. Oh boy, we'll keep us informed on that. So switching this up, Mr. Kyle, anything exciting going on in the weather besides heat? <laughs> oh, well, as exciting as heat is, Sam, uh, I know it's a, uh, it's a hot topic nowadays, but uh, there so has been some, oh, yes, indeed, yes, indeed. Uh, they don't get any better, folks, don't worry. Uh, but in the last week, we've had a lot of really interesting weather uh, happen across the nation. Just a couple that I wanted to hit on, uh, one that uh, got a lot of lot of media attention because of how photogenic it was, was the, uh, the green skies in South Dakota, right, from a, a line of uh, thunderstorms that moved through there, and that it caught a lot of people's attention. And, right, there's uh, a lot of myths out there that, oh, you know, green skies equals hail, right? That's sort of a, an old wives' tale uh, sort of thing. And, you know, sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. It's not 100% guarantee. And, uh, right, it's really popularized uh, for, my, for my fellow Twister fans, right? You'll remember the exchange between Bill and Dusty where Bill says, going green, and then Dusty's like, greenage. Right. So that's sort of where that kind of came from. Uh, another one uh, that I thought was really neat is right. Tropical Storm Colin really uh, formed really, really quickly uh, off the uh, coast of the Carolinas. Uh, didn't bring uh, too significant of impacts, thankfully, but uh, it moved in, developed, hit and then moved out within a 12 hour time span. But uh, right. It's one of those situations where right. It's not typical for a storm to form that quickly that far north. But uh, lots of ingredients did come together for Colin to have that quick little spin up just there off the coast. Oh, my. So I hear there's going to be a lot of heat this coming week, eh? In, in my area, in our area. Yeah, the uh, yeah, the central part of the U.S. is definitely going to be heating up again. So that's that's on tap there. But uh, for our uh, coastal friends there on the east coast of the United States, there are uh, no tropical cyclone formation anticipated in the Atlantic Basin, at least uh, the next five days from when we're recording. So uh, but keep an eye. It's it's hurricane season, folks. Yes, it is. And speaking of tornadoes and COVID, <laughs> my friend Gary Christman is back my friend and business partner, and he's going to be in a different, wearing a different hat today. Because the last time we talked to Gary, he was talking about storm chasing, and now we're going to be dealing with this CISM-specific topic. So say hi again, Gary. Good evening. It's a pleasure to be back, and uh, I'll wear many hats. So I, I have uh, probably 35 years in public safety and, and have touched on a lot of different topics in my career. So weather was definitely a fun uh, topic to talk about and uh, critical incident stress management is, is a topic that we definitely need to address and ensure that people know what it is. Well, I know you do a lot of that in your arena. What, what kind of things do you do? 
I'm actually on a team in the St. Louis area. It's called the Greater St. Louis Critical Incident Stress Management Team. Uh, it was established in St. Louis back in 1991. Uh, I joined the team shortly after 9-11 on my return from New York and uh, was actually a participant when I was on the ambulance back in the 90s uh, a couple times that we did debriefings with the team. So currently, I just uh, finished my six years of being the president of the organization, and now I'm on the board of directors and uh, a peer to actually go out and work with the first responders. And I know you've gone out on some some bigger incidents lately, so they're glad they should be glad to have you. Well, we want to revisit school shootings. We talked about it a little bit in the past, but I I, I really found some good information out there. And the question in my mind is, is why? Okay, so we can talk about firearms and access to them or lack of security, but I'm not going to get political because that's not my, my thing, okay? What I want to know is I think the base problem here is the shooters. These aren't kids that wake up in the morning who can are considered good kids by their parents who just wake up and decide to go shoot up the school. Um, so there's some things going on that's either going unnoticed or someone isn't talking about it. And I actually saw this on a TV commercial. It's a, It was a real quick thing called Sandy Hook Promise. And they are focused on say something tips. And they even have an anonymous reporting system that allows people to report something before an, an, an issue may occur. So their end goal is that um, they wanna end school shootings and create a culture change that prevents violence, violence. And they have a lot of programs to do that. I was pretty impressed with their site. So we'll have Jamie put that up there. Um, it's a nonprofit funded by, interestingly, the family members of those who were killed at Sandy Hook, who went on to want to do something, and they, they did a great thing here. So the intent is to honor all victims of gun violence by turning our tragedy into a moment of transformation. And one of the things they want to do is empowering youth to know the signs Um and anyone who values the protection of children, who I think is all of us, uh, have to take some meaningful actions about this. So there's a few facts that I saw. Each day, 12 children die from gun violence in America, each day. And another 32 are shot and injured. The U.S. has had 2,032 school shootings since 1970, and the numbers are increasing. Alarmingly, 948 school shootings have taken place since the tragedy of Sandy Hook, which goes back to 2012. Um, any initial thoughts on that, Gary? Yeah, it, it's it's definitely increased over years. Uh, as you said, it, it's not anything new, unfortunately. Uh, you know, the, the first actual documented, I believe, attack on a school with a firearm and actually an explosive device in a vehicle was 1927. Wow. Uh, Bath School. Uh, so it, it, it's unfortunate that these things are happening. There's a lot of theories of what 
is the motivation to these type of shootings and, you know, what type of signs to look for. And it's, it's difficult to predict the actions of an individual, you know, as everybody knows. But it also is a factor of our society. Uh, there's many changes that have taken place. Kids are, are very involved in social media. Uh, I heard one therapist mention the other day that, you know, kids nowadays look at their phones and all they see is everybody else having fun, all their great pictures, their cars, their, you know, their friends. And they're sitting there either in their basement or by themselves having a horrible day and thinking everybody else is having a great day, not realizing that they're only seeing a snapshot of everybody's life at that moment. And everybody is suffering from the same issues or, you know, maybe not in the great as detailed, but they're still human and we're all having those different types of emotions. So there's many, like I said, many theories that go into why that behavior happens. Um, but there also is a lot of, of preventative measures that we as a society, not just the schools or law enforcement, that can play a very, very active role in, you know, helping to hopefully avoid the next shooting. Exactly. And, and that's what we're going to talk about. Um, Joe, your thoughts? You know, how, how has this been any kind of an issue in Memphis? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, we had a, we had an active shooter at a, a grocery store in Collierville, one of our suburbs just, uh, several months ago with, uh, uh several injured and, uh, one killed, I think. And then, uh, about a year before that, uh, another shooting at a, uh, a Walmart, I think if I remember right. Um, so uh, yes, obviously it is. There's there's certainly great concern among uh, the law enforcement community here. Um, I, I think uh, it's an awfully complicated, complex problem. Um, I think about um, the the stuff that people talk about doing that doesn't seem to me to have made much difference. These things are getting worse instead of better. Um, witnessed the July 4th parade shooting just a few days ago. Um, so, I, you know, I think we're we're going to have to make some pretty significant investments in our uh, mental health infrastructure, I think, to try to uh, potentially catch these folks before they get to this point uh, and, and uh, improve our, you know, screening and um make make you know guns harder to get access to or at least take longer or something uh, there's just a lot of things that are going to need to change i think if we're really going to going to make a dent in this program uh, this problem you're right and we'll talk about some of those but the interesting thing is that mental health issues itself and the kid does not is not a real indicator that they're going to do something like this that that's a whole different thing Kyle, you're up there in the mountains without kids, uh, but what are your thoughts? <laughs> no, Sam, uh, you're right. You know, no kids of my own, but um, it's it's absolutely a, a topic that I keep my eye on uh, as a you know emergency management professional, and so it's uh, and also one that uh, teaches um, agents, public safety agencies, on behalf of FEMA. Uh, 
different tools and techniques that are available for uh, being able to participate in and listen to these uh, conversations that are happening in the digital space, right? And so as, as was sort of hinted at, right, with the, the advent of social media, things like that, that's where a lot of, um, you know, a lot of kids are, they're, they're reaching out, they're, you know, communicating, they're, they're posting things, right? And so it's really empowering, not just the public safety professionals, but also those within school administration and local law enforcement to uh, really develop a more holistic relationship with, with students in the platforms that they're familiar with interacting uh, upon day to day with their with their friends and, and such. And so that ultimately, hopefully we could have a more productive conversation uh, to maybe deter these events from happening in future, or at the very least to be able to perhaps um, intercept some of these uh, some of these conversations that are happening before it goes too far. Exactly, and we'll touch on that too. I found Gary's point really interesting uh, that kids who watch social media that maybe have nots um, are looking at what other kids are doing, whether there's some truth to that or not, but they're influenced by that, and they may be upset by that and say, well, they have that. Why don't I have that? Jamie, you have kids and grandkids. What do you think? Well, you know, I, I think that the the things that um, Sandy Hook Promise is set up are really really looking at the low-hanging fruit and avoiding the politicization of some of the, the more hot-button topics. And I think that that's really the, the right way to go. Um, because there are a lot of things out there that can be looked at to educate people to be more aware, to educate students and others to look for those that are isolated socially and find ways to to engage with them and be more inclusive with them at an early time when before um, they may become more socially isolated later on and, and harbor ill will at that point. Um, obviously nothing's going to work all of the time, but I really like their programs and, um, something that, that that's a site that I've been familiar with for some time now. So it's interesting you brought it up because I think that they have some really good things to say and some, some programs that have proven to be effective in cases that they can document. And I think that that's, you know, that's important because I, we hear all the time about the incidents that happen we don't often hear about the incidents that were put off or or stopped before they happen, and and I think that that's important as well is to document and and talk about what worked in those situations. Yeah, I wish there was more information on that. Well, I was glad to see that they, you know, like I said, I was first aware of them because of a, a TV spot, and I thought, wow, you know, I, I this information really needs to be out there in this site where people can report concerns. Um, it's awesome. But here's a couple points. I mean, they, they do look at some facts, and I think Joe mentioned this. But an estimated 4.6 million American children live in a home where at least one gun is kept locked and loaded and improperly stored. So these, of course, you know, especially if people are, the parents are gun nuts or whatever, um, these have contributed to school shootings and, and all kinds of other bad things. Um, 
they a lot of parents don't think they know where the gun is or how it's stored or how to get to it, and that isn't necessarily the truth. Um, unfortunately, in four out of five school shootings, at least one other person had knowledge of the attacker's plan but failed to report that. And I find that kind of interesting. I'd like to hear what you guys think, because is that because they're afraid that, you know, this guy's going to do something bad and come after me? Um, so even the Secret Service and the Department of Education have studied this and found that 93% of school shooters plan the attack in advance. So again, these aren't kids that wake up in the morning and go, oh, I think I'll go shoot a bunch of people. Um, Almost all of these mass school shooters shared threatening or concerning messages or images. More than 78% raised concern from others prior to the attacks. Um, bystanders saw warning signs, but they didn't report them. So I think that's one reason why this site is important. Gary? Yeah, it's a lot of great information, and, and you're right. Uh, there's a lot of uh, statistics that at times we ignore and move past. You know, in I, I, I agree with the statement a lot on the, the fact that we should really kind of, you know, the political side is one thing, but there's a lot of the low-hanging fruit that we can take care of. And it, it goes back down into society. You know, guns have been around for, for a long time. And it's the responsibility of the gun owner to make sure that that gun is secured. It, it is also, you know, it, it falls back on the parent to ensure that, you know, they're talking to the child about gun safety or talking to them about, you know, what's going on in their lives and watching those signs and symptoms. You know, ev everybody that has, you know, an underlying medical um, condition as far as mental health goes, is not going to be an active shooter, but there is that possibility it could be stopped before it gets to that point. One of the other things I, I thought is interesting, I heard a conversation a couple of days ago that, you know, all the social media platforms will really just kind of follow all of your conversations and really pinpoint commercials towards what you put on Facebook or what you say um, in social media post. And there has to be some type of an algorithm that we could sign to these platforms to be able to monitor, you know, these kids that are putting on there that, you know, I'm following school shootings or I want to shoot up a school or, you know, those type of things to where maybe that would be the red flag to be able to, to intervene before it happens. Um, I don't know the legal stance behind that as far as what social media platforms would have. But, you know, that that would be something interesting to, to research. And then the other thing that you brought up of, you know, why people don't report, you know, a lot of times I think people think, well, it's just talk or they think it's, you know, just I, I don't want to get involved or I'm afraid that if I say something and I'm wrong, it's going to be, you know, traumatic to that person or it may end up in a lawsuit you know there, there's a lot of factors of why people don't want to get involved anymore in that unfortunately kind of goes against that whole you see something say something 
Exactly, and that's that's the premise that uh, we're talking about here. And Kyle just mentioned in the sidebar that they have a safe to tell number two uh, in here in Colorado. So I'm sure there's others out there. Um, I, I just don't know where they all are, but I'm glad that they exist. Well, here are some of the critical warning signs. Now, uh, I'd be interesting to know from you guys if probably any one of these alone may not mean anything, but maybe in multiples, I'm not quite sure. But people who withdraw from friends, family, and activities, and that includes online or social media, especially kind of quickly. Uh, bullying, especially when that targets differences in race, religion, gender, ability, lack of patience, or becoming angry quickly. Well, a lot of people are like that. So I don't know that we could take that in and of itself. Um, chronic loneliness or social isolation. We talked a bit about that. Expressing persistent thoughts of harming themselves or someone else. Making direct threats toward a place, a person, or themselves. Bragging about their access to guns or weapons. Recruiting accomplices or audience for an attack. That's kind of an obvious one. Or directly expressing a threat as a plan. Gary? Yeah, I think those cover a lot of, of the social anxieties of, of our youth. Um, and again, you know, a lot of those are not going to be seen by the general population. It may be something that a teacher notices or a principal notices or even a parent or a sibling close to that child or that individual to understand that, you know, maybe there is something going on. Maybe it's more than just, you know, walking into your child's room and saying, hey, is anything going on that I need to know about? Most people are going to say no. It's kind of like passing somebody in the hallway at work and saying, how you doing? Most of the time, 99.9% .9 of the time, people are going to say, I'm fine, and they walk on. So it's taking that extra minute or longer to actually sit down with that individual and find out what's going on, reach out to their teacher, reach out to their friends um, and others that may have seen this change as well. And you'll, you'll find that there's a lot of hidden secrets in, in these children before they get to the point of being a mass murderer. Well, let me ask you this on that note. Are parents paying attention? I don't believe so. I think that's probably one of our, our problems is, is that, you know, we most parents are, are working. Um, so kids are, are kind of being raised either on social media or, you know, by themselves until their parents get home. And I don't think the, the family structure is as strong as it used to be. And I, I personally think that's a, a big factor in what, we're seeing in society. You know, personally, I also believe that on the religious side, I think that has kind of diminished across our country as well. And, you know, we look at the instant punishment versus the punishment of eternity. And I know many different people believe in different ways, but I think that also influences somebody that if I if I do a mass murder and I kill myself, then I'm not going to be punished for it. But if I believe there's an eternal punishment, 
then that is a thought in that person's mind when they go into making that decision. Wow, that would be a definite deterrent. Joe, your thoughts? Well, you know, I think back to the earlier question of uh, folks really struggle to appreciate the sometimes subtle hints and clues and things that people are saying and, you know, don't think anything about it until something has happened and then sort of go, oh, put two and two together. Wow, he was talking about that last week. So I I think it's just, um, I, I think we have to be a little bit concerned about this idea that people are very frequently saying things that are, are, are red flagging their activities. It's not that it's not happening, but I do worry that people look back on some something that they said, which may have been purely innocent, and only in retrospect realize the, the gravity of what it was that they heard. So I, I think we have to just really pay attention to what people are saying. I think we need to have a lower threshold for expressing concern over that, like uh, uh, Gary was just saying, and and feel freer in uh, reaching out to uh, friends, family, et cetera, but also to authorities in some cases, just to to sort of put people on the alert. Indeed. Kyle, you mentioned normalcy bias uh, in the sidebar. What do you mean by that? Sure, Sam. So normalcy bias, right, is... Right, the tendency of uh, an individual to, you know, really disbelieve or to minimize things that go against their their sort of normal uh, conduct and way of life and daily uh, sort of going about things. Right, where right on the same point, right, we don't want to be the ones to right raise that red flag or or speak up, right, because we don't want to draw that attention to ourselves or or be singled out. Uh, a lot of the time, right? So normalcy bias sort of plays into that, and that's a it's a subconscious uh, bias that's that's there in in a lot of us. And so it's it's been you know time and time again. Oh, I I didn't think that I should say something. Oh, I thought about it, but I didn't know if I wanted to. Right? You read these, you know, the some of the investigations, the after action reports from you know not just school shootings, but other type of mass harm uh, events. There's right folks that you know saw something, heard something, right? But oh, I don't want to be the one to stray from the norm. And in the same, on the flip side of that, right? Compound that you have you know confirmation bias on top of it. So right, so folks that you know care about say the individual in question, they'll say, oh well, you know I just talked to them and and they said that they're fine, right? Because we want to think that that person is fine. They tell us they're fine. Oh, okay, that confirms what I think. That's going to bring me some relief when you were seeking that answer to begin with, right? So just beware of of those biases that are out there within all of us. Wow, really good point, Kyle. Jamie? You know, I I try to think about trying to approach these things from a public health perspective because that that gives us the best opportunity, I think, to to have a, a concerted effort across a broad spectrum of the population to affect change. And we know that good public health messaging works. Um, we've, we've seen it 
with all sorts of different public health issues. And I think if we can approach the fact that people are dying or being in severely injured from gun violence, that we can come up with some solutions and some messaging across the population to target specific things like we've been talking about with this low-hanging fruit idea. Um, and I think that there are opportunities there. I mean, you know, you think about um, the, the children that, die, that are injured or die because they find a, a firearm that has not been put away properly. Well, that's a, that can be messaged. Um, that can be something that we can make build public awareness around and people will be more conscious. It's like getting people to wear seatbelts. It didn't happen overnight. And I think that it was messaging that made those changes. Um, and I think that those, these kind of things can can really come around, at least for some of the things that happen, by approaching it from a, a perspective of public health. Really good point, Jamie. Well, you know, we could do a whole podcast on this last point. Um, maybe we should at some time. But, you know, when you're dealing with the aftermath of a shooting, you know, an entire community is involved. Um, there's a lot of vicarious trauma from watching these tragedies, even watching them on TV. Um, what do we do with our kids who are being, whether or not they're directly involved or not? Should they be watching the news? Should they be off social media? Um, you know, maybe we should talk to them, make sure the kids share what they know, let them ask questions, make sure that we're giving them answers that are age appropriate. Um, for older kids, distinguish between truth and rumor. Um, you know, if we're doing something, then they're going to feel less helpless and passive. Gary, you want to answer to that? I, I completely am on the side of we need to talk to our children. I, I don't believe we should allow them to to engage in a lot of, of the media coverage. I think it's the, the parents' obligation and also, you know, the schools bring in the counselors to be able to let the child talk, find out what they know, find out how they feel, and be able to give them more of the facts um, to the point of what you had mentioned, you know, the facts versus the rumors, because we know the rumors are going to be out there. So I definitely support having that conversation with your child and, you know, find out what their fears are, see what you can do to ease them and work with them on what they need to know in those type of events. You know, when I was at the city, we worked with the school district for the smaller kids. We didn't do the active shooter. We did the stranger danger. It's the same theory of hiding from the individual that's trying to get you. So there's many different ways, depending on the age of the child, depending on the maturity of the child, that you can work with them to make them feel safer and understand what they need to do to protect themselves. It's a shame that we have to foster distrust, but it's unfortunately necessary. Joe? I don't know that I've got a lot else to add. I, I think that's... Uh... Pretty, uh, pretty accurate information. Kyle? Nothing to add. Okay. I guess we've said it all. There's a lot more we could talk about, and maybe we will do that later. Jamie, 
Yeah. And, you know, and then this is a tough topic. Um, and I hope that we've been able to uh, open some people's uh, minds about maybe looking at this from a different perspective um, and, and trying to not make it as polarizing as it can be. Um, because I think there are some solutions to, to lessening the, the, the issue that don't involve some of the hot button issues. Um, so I'd like to see that. Um, one of the things that I would like to say is that, you know, from a first responder perspective, there are a lot of things we can do to educate ourselves and be better prepared so that when the, when these situations do strike in our communities, we have the opportunity to, to um, save more lives than might have other been otherwise been saved. Um, and we, we hear situations that um, occur um, where that happens, and we, we know the effect of rapid response, stopping the bleed, things like that, that can, that can really make a difference in our communities when these situations happen. Um, Joe, you guys at Paragon are leading the, the forefront of this with, with teaching, um, you know, people in the military, people in, for, uh, in the police community, in the fire and EMS community, all about how to manage these uh, large-scale situations with lots of patients with traumatic injury. Yeah, thanks, Jamie. We, uh, we've been having uh, actually quite a number of conversations and meetings with uh, folks locally here with a large number of um, active assailant events that have been going on recently uh, in regards to training. So we always look forward to uh, meeting with folks and talking to them about what their needs are and how we can uh, customize training to suit their needs and, and get them exactly what they need. Where can folks reach out to you to do that? Uh, they can reach us on the web at paragonmedicalgroup.com or uh, on uh, Facebook at Paragon Medical Group. And they can, of course, always reach us through the Disaster Podcast or the Disaster Podcast Facebook page. Fantastic. And, um, Joe, thanks so much for um, your continued support of the Disaster Podcast and, and giving us the opportunity to talk, talk about topics like this and, and the other things that, that we cover from week to week on here on the show. Um Let's see, Gary, where can folks uh, reach out to you if they have um, like to connect with you in some way or reach out to you with questions? Uh, LinkedIn is probably the best way. Uh, I don't have a lot of, of social presence on the, online. Uh, but one of the things I, I, I do want to add is, you know, I completely support the Stop the Bleed and, and those, those programs but we also need to ensure that the first responders understand how to take care of themselves mentally after these events as well. So I encourage them to, to work with their critical incident stress management teams. Um, a lot of departments are now doing a peer to peer type programs. So that helps them also, you know, following these, these events as well. Um, I, I do appreciate the opportunity to, to be here tonight to talk with you guys on this topic. Amen to that. Uh, yeah. Taking care of our first responders is our first priority. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm glad you brought that up, Gary. It's important for us to always focus on our, our own mental health and um, because that gives us uh, the ability to uh, be more resilient to, to handle the things that we see and run into. So it's important. Um, Kyle, where can folks find you? Well, Jimmy, folks can find me on all the major social media platforms under the handle WXKyleNelson. Would love to stay in touch and continue the conversation. And Sam? 
uh, wherever Kyle is <laughs> under Sam Bradley or Sam Bradley 11, especially on our Disaster Podcast Facebook page. And you can find me under the handle Podmedic in most social media locations. So I look forward to hearing from folks out there. And um, just uh, want to let you know that you can always subscribe to the Disaster Podcast. There are links below the player on disasterpodcast.com on any of the episode pages. Um, you'll be able to subscribe using your iOS or Android devices. And uh, just click the link and follow the prompts. And you'll be able to get each and every episode delivered to you automatically, which is kind of cool. So I hope you'll do that. Um, Sam, um, you know, tough episode topic, but I think um, you did a good job approaching it um, from this perspective. Well, I think it needed to be talked about. And, and one thing I would ask is if you have kids, especially high school age kids, um, find out if your state has something like we were just talking about, where they can report suspicious activity, even anonymously, and maybe prevent one of these things from happening. <laughs>